I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today we are joined by Edgar Gant, Project Operations Manager for ESPN, where he provides operations oversight for the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference and Southwestern Athletic Conference Challenge kickoff and the Celebration Bowl game. He is the former Director of Compliance at Arkansas, and he served the SWAC as Interim Commissioner. Edgar, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Edgar, when did you fall in love with sports? I started at a young age. Um, you know, my, my father was a was a basketball player, and from that, just sports just seemed to be we're all we were always around sports. Uh, my, my older brother was the, the person who really introduced me to a lot of the sports that I ultimately played and, and what brought me, allowed me to get a scholarship to go to college. Um, so from, a, from an early age, it's interesting fact and funny fact, people who have gotten to know me, I'll tell them in fourth grade, I was 145 pounds. Wow. And then I was not a little, little guy by any means. I didn't start playing organized football until, or I wasn't allowed to play until my my freshman year in high school so i was a i was a big kid that just kept growing and kept getting uh leaner and faster <laughs> and i just kept playing and doing different sports so yeah it started at a very a young age for me anything i can get and be involved with was uh was what what drew me in so i, I tell jokingly with my son who's now six four i said you know I used to wrestle and he was like, wrestle, what are you doing wrestling? I was like, dude, that's the only thing I can play. So I, I, I did that. I swam and I dove for like three, four years. I did everything you could possibly think of uh, just to stay active and involved. What was your favorite sport? Uh, track and field. I, that's something I still gravitate toward. Um, I, I tell my kids if I, if I didn't go to college to play football it would have been for track and field I was a a sprinter hurdler in high school and I that's something I just I love doing I still you know watching it uh today you know watching all the the world records and different things that are that are broken that were just recently broken it's just it still brings a lot of excitement and joy to me describe your professional journey for our listeners let's see you know as a college, uh, former college student athlete work, uh, you know, being involved with college sports is just, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong journey of love and interest. Um, early on as a 
player, I watch my administrators being involved in what they did on a day-to-day, realizing, wow, there's so many different things. You know, as an athlete, you you see your trainers, you see your coaches, you see that administrator that tells you about the, the rules and regs, the do's and don'ts. Like, why do I got to sit through this? But then you also see the glamorous side of it. And I'll say the glamorous side from a putting on the games to the marketing and promotions of it, uh, the things that draw the fans in, the commercials. Uh, so for me, and, and wanting to learn about the business, I went about it and just uh, when I finished playing college athletics, I started volunteering. I started wanting to shadow those that were involved in a profession that I was interested in. And I was fortunate enough when I was at University of Kentucky that I had administrators, once they found out, oh, you're not doing this for class credit, but you're doing this because you're interested in it. They to- totally just allowed me to see everything. Uh, they brought me under their wings. Uh, still to this day, a lot of those administrators I, I, I speak to on occasion. And, you know, you, you just, um, th- those are the ones that helped me to develop into the person that I am today. And people often overlook the benefits of shadowing and volunteering, but they can really be good ways to to get in the door and get people to know you. Absolutely. I tell them even today, as we're preparing for, for the kickoff game, uh, the cricket, me XY challenge kickoff game here. And I mentioned 33 days away. Um, that is one of the things that I, I tell these young, young uh, individuals that are interested in getting involved to come out to volunteer. Not everything that unfortunately you're going to do is going to be paid. It is those um, building up the rapport and the reliance and people feeling comfortable, allowing you to do certain roles um, will allow you to gain that insight on what it what, what it takes to put on events, what it takes to be an administrator, how to problem solve, all those those key things that will ultimately help you to be the best version of yourself in athletics that you can be. Now, how did working in compliance help you when you were serving in the commissioner role? From a governance standpoint, so a lot of individuals or people need to understand that when a when a commissioner is in that role, a lot of times they are, they're tasked with one supplying the governance and, and, and structure that is needed for a conference to function. Uh, they also got to understand how to, how their role in serving their membership also works with the NCAA on a broader level. Um, and so my role in compliance, I've served on a number of NCAA committees, um, um, helping to develop just programs, helping to to identify things that would help make the, the lives of administrators and student athletes on campus better. Uh, I had a, I had an opportunity to chair the uh, the old uh, awards, benefits and expenses and financial aid committee yes. long, many years ago. And that experience in and of itself, while it wasn't the glamorous side of the house, it helped to um, really to, for me to, as when I became the, the interim commissioner of, of the SWAC at the time, to understand what role from the governance that played, and then also where uh, we are today with the, the with the rules and regulations. A lot of it's uh, been, I guess, opened up, lack mm-hmm. of better words, and what people are seeing today in terms of the name, image, and likeness piece to, you know, just on and on the freedoms that now exist, the transfer rules and, and the portal. So 
that experience in and of itself from a compliance opened up to understanding kind of the world that we are now living in from a college athletic standpoint. For those persons who aspire to serve in the role of a commissioner, what skill sets do they need to develop in order to be successful? I would say some of the, the just the things that jump off to me are, are someone who is a, um, a self-starter, you know, someone who uh, understands, who is willing to understand people, to learn the just the small, tangible things such as uh, attention to detail, uh, being organized, um, planning, understanding the importance of planning, because while, while there's always a plan that can be developed and thought of, uh, there are times when you're going to have to necessarily make, you know, you're going to have to make changes to those plans. You're going to have to evolve those plans as you go. Um, so someone who's not necessarily stuck in those plans, but yet can trouble um, problem solve and, and kind of continue to develop those as, as they go. Um, and then understanding and being able to, to relate to people, uh, the membership from a conference uh, standpoint, you're dealing with so many different diverse groups of people. You have to be able to, to meet, to understand, to communicate effectively. I think that those are all the, the key things to helping a commissioner or someone in that, that role from a conference side to do their best. Now, how did you make the transition from the conference office to working with events for ESPN? Really relationships, I would say. Uh, I had an opportunity to, the, the, to, to my work at the conference office directly impacted the role and the direction that ESPN was trying to go with their events team. Um, it started out with, uh, as, as you know, just the, the Me Whack Challenge mm-hmm. in and of itself, when it was started back in 2005, that was a direct um, intentional effort to to really spotlight HBCUs right. and, and their benefits within the HBCU culture at the Division One level. So the SWAC and the MEAC had their opportunities along with their conference commissioners and, and from there. Um, my my relationship with those conference um, from the conference side to the ESPN and their their event staff was such uh, one that anything they needed from spotlighting supporting their games as they were getting ready to either kick off or put on be put on helped with that. So um, when I was at the SWAC, I oversaw the the conference football championship game. The winner of those uh, of that contest would go on to represent the SWAC in the Celebration Bowl. Um, so when I transitioned from the SWAC, I understood the what was needed, what was being asked from the conference side for ESPN. And then as I've transitioned now on the ESPN side, I provide that at least the understanding and the vision. Okay, this is what typically happens on campus. This is what the administrators are going through. So. I helped bridge that gap to make that transition from the hustle and bustle of regular season into championship um, that they have first weekends. Uh, and I, I'm mentioning really the, the, the SWAC in the first week of December. The MEAC is a much easier, uh, well, a much longer transition because they finish up their crown champion is solidified, you know, roughly second week of November mm-hmm. going into the third week of November. And so my uh, my involvement from the conference side, preparing for the ESPN side, 
is that of understanding that of um, my football background of understanding, okay, how do the coaches typically think how, who are the key people that make the coaches lives easier, which will ultimately make from a bowl operations side or putting on a game event side, our lives easier. And so that's the bridge. That's the gap. Um, and that's what I still work through today in terms of just the ease of all parties to make make uh, what we do that much more easy and effective. Now, explain for our listeners who are unfamiliar how the Celebration Bowl came into existence. All right. So Celebration Bowl is started in 2015 with the first game played at the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Now, present day, the game is played at the Mercedes, uh, I'm sorry, the old Georgia Dome. Now the game is played at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. So it started in 2015. It was a, uh, the game itself, again, with the direction and leadership of two conference commissioners, along with the ESPN event staff, that game came into existence. And it was meant to provide the uh, champion of the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference and a champion of the Southwestern Athletic Conference an opportunity to play and showcase their, their, their you know, for their fans. Um, and when I say showcase, if you've gone to an HBCU game, you understand that the game is just, it's a one, it's, it's different. It's different in the sense of from a, when I describe different, I mean like this is a, a cultural event. This is the, the pageantry on full display. You get to see the tradition of uh, historically black colleges and universities. And, and ESPN has has a gold mine in the sense that they can put on display a first class event that showcases those two conferences. And I mean, if you look at just last year alone, uh, that game that was played, it was it was fantastic. You had while you know while the, the two conferences may not have uh, agreed with the outcome of it, you had South Carolina State squaring off against Jackson State. You had just all the media attention. We had. Um, you know, we, a, we, a record in terms of attendance at the game over 48,000 at Mercedes Benz stadium. And it was the 12th largest crowd in bowl history, uh, from quarter bowl games for that year. Oh, so that's great. From an FCS bowl, um, bowl game put in, you know, amongst the other FBS power fives to finish 12th. That's just, it was fantastic. And anyone who was attendance can, uh, can attest that it was one that they would definitely want to come to come 22, uh, December 17th. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, I watched from home just because I live in Florida and I wasn't trusting Atlanta weather in December. (laughs) It's beautiful. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, I used to work with the Orange Bowl committee, so I know that there are so many different events that surround the game. Explain what your major roles are in preparing for that game. The major roles in preparing for the game, I would say, you know, this game with our, the help of our, our title sponsor, Cricket, um, that is a big piece for it. You know, our sponsors, um, our partners, they the, the, the roles they play in helping to spotlight the two conferences are, you know, are fantastic. You know, we can't do what we do without without those 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 their partnership, those funds to put on a first class event. Um, 
the venue. You know, the venue in and of itself is a is a big draw and key. You mentioned the trusting of the weather in Atlanta. Uh, it's indoors. So, you know, whether you are, you know, as, as you plan to come to the game, I mean, you're going to be indoors. So that's the the wonderful piece there that you can't beat that. The atmosphere inside is is phenomenal. Uh, so as we prepare for the games, we're looking at the venue, we're looking at spotlighting our sponsors, you know, the game in and of itself, the fans, the, the, the student athletes, their administrations, they're going to come prepared and ready to go. Um, the alumni from those two competing conferences, one of the things that we're trying to do is not just about the two competing teams. Um, you know, Jackson State and South Carolina State, for example, from last year, it's about the conference pride. It's about right. the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference coming on the full display. It's about the Southwestern Athletic Conference coming and just being involved in putting, you know, putting, you know, forth their best foot. So the alumni bases, the, the HBCU community in and of itself, that is something from a, a, as we plan for the bowl game, we are conscious of that. We want it to be a one family-friendly fr- uh, family event. We wanted to be a first-class event, spotlighting the HBCUs um, of all all over the place. I mean, it doesn't even matter. And those individuals that didn't attend an HBCU, we want them to be in attendance as well, because it is historic. I mean, it's historic uh, in terms of there's always records being broken. I mentioned the the fans and the, the attendance just from last year, and I've attended the SWAC Football Media Day this uh, last week in Birmingham. And we have the upcoming uh, MEAC Media Days coming up on Friday. I mean, it's without a doubt, this football season is shaping up to be a, another fantastic one from the HBCU side of the house. This is always an exciting time of the year for me because once the Final Four is over, I don't really watch much television until college football season comes back around. So I'm excited. Now, how many people support you in roles to produce this game? That's a good question. We, in our office right now, we have our executive director, have myself, we have an event coordinator, we have um, a, a host of contract workers that come in to help us in, in that role. And these are individuals that have had or worked with us uh, for a number of years. We even have support from our Charlotte office that do a great job of coming in and supporting us. So not only is the, the boots on the ground in Atlanta, we have the the um, our support, as I mentioned, from our Charlotte office, our ESPN events office there, and then our um, volunteers. I think with any, and you you mentioned just your, your Orange Bowl days and stuff like that, the volunteers in the area help make your games a success. They are an extension of your staff when your staff can't necessarily be everywhere at all times. So we rely on, on those individuals. So easily, I would say we have support of, of a, of a dozen people that are key people to putting on the events. And about how many volunteers does it take to successfully operate a game of this magnitude? I, I would think that we, we would have easily 30 to 50 volunteers in and around. And, you know, there, yes, there are a lot Uh, in this post COVID era, you Mm. know, we are, you're always having to manage not only just, you know, 
opening up the doors and hey, come in and help and you, we need you to do this. But we also have to take precautions there. And I, I mentioned that just because that affects those volunteers, that affects where we're putting people in, um, how we're trying to display and keep not only uh, the teams and ad admins safe, but also our fans that will attend the games. Now, talking about volunteers, for those who are sports administrators and they're aspiring to move up into senior levels, they're going to encounter a lot of volunteers to be successful. What's the difference in how you supervise volunteers compared to how you supervise full-time staff members? I would say right off the bat, you know, when you have staff members that are working with you day in and day out, they, they're, they're the ones that are involved from the ground route, from the ground up. They're, they're, they know the conversation. They've been in, in those meetings. Um, they're helping to be an extension of, of the direct execution that, that you want to see for that vision for that game. When it comes to the volunteers, the volunteers are, are really uh, charged with one part of that, if you, you know, say a pie, one part of that pie of, of, of achievement. So looking at our fan experience alone, um, that is a big part before you even get to the game, before you get to kickoff. The big part of our fan experience are, which, you know, our, our title sponsor Coca-Cola is our, oversees our fan experience for our kickoff game as well as our bowl game. And there's so much that goes into that in and of itself. You have um, the coordination of individuals that would help from the ease of shuttling fans back and forth that may not, um, that may have some uh, physical um, handicaps for themselves. Uh, you know, you got the, the awareness of the hydration because depending on the time of year it is, like for our kickoff game, you mentioned Atlanta in December, it may, uh, it may be a little chilly. You mentioned Atlanta in, in August, September, it is definitely going to be a little warm. Definitely hot. So, so you have fans that play a critical role in that um, first aid, uh, just awareness of hydration, things like that, or just helping be from a directional standpoint. It's nothing worse than going to an event and you don't know where to go. Um, there's people that you would interact with, don't understand the directions or ease of helping fans get into to places. So those are all those key things. So from an, from a full-time staff member, we, we make it a point to have a volunteer meeting. We have a volunteer handbook. We go through the, the point of having those discussions um, sometimes weeks out. Um, then we'll have a check-in days before our actual event. So that way we're all on the same page as it relates to how the volunteers can best, um, one, serve, two, um, make themselves of value to, to the fans and get something out of it. I think volunteers, you know, we try to have them rotate around. Um, like I mentioned, the fan experience, we have volunteers to help with the suites. We have volunteers to help with the game operations. And, and so even presentations that take place on the field. And I think that's probably one of the cooler things when uh, a volunteer is like, okay, you want me to go down and meet with who? Like, yeah, <laughs> we're going to have a check presentation. I need you to, to get this person or we'll have a, a, you know, a trivia contest or something like that. They get to see that, that side of it, that there's so many different aspects of, of excitement within the game because it's not just the teams, it's not just the fans yelling. There's a lot of uh, other little things that happen behind the scenes that make it make it a great event. And how old do you have to be to volunteer? 
we have um, from the ESPN side, we we want you to be at least 16 years of age okay. and older um, just to be able to access the sideline. So when you're, you know, I mentioned those roles of from a live production, different escorts or just greeting fans coming through the doors. We want you to be, um, I guess that would be my son's 16. So sophomore heading into junior year, I think you, you know, you would have that that ability to, to be involved with our game at that age. Okay. Now with the MEAC SWAC challenge, do you have the same roles or different roles or how is that different than the celebration bowl? We have the same roles um, in terms of just those areas for the bowl game. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is a bowl game. It is, it is a culmination of, 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 of the football season. Your current, we're going to crown two champion or one champion from the champions, those conference champions, uh, like I mentioned, the SWAC and the MEAC. Um, the, the attention. So everything that you would imagine that a sponsor would want to do, they want to mm. do the best. They want to put on the best show. Um, right. The excellence that we're striving for for our bowl games, the sponsors are trying to, you know, close out the football season that same way. So things are just, um, they're not, I can't, I wouldn't even say they're small compared to the, from the kickoff game. They're just, there's so much more involved when it comes to the bowl game. And how are the teams selected for the kickoff game? Uh, we have um, my executive director, John Grant, he does a, he has done a great job of going out and, and identifying, having those conversations. You know, you have to coordinate schedules in advance. Uh, <laughs> institutions are not waiting around to build out their schedules. No, they're not. From one year to the next. So it there takes a lot of conversations that, that take place, a lot of coordinating. Uh, we are week zero and our, our game will remain in week zero from the from the Cricket Me XY Challenge kickoff standpoint. And he, we're out through 2026 right now. Oh, great. I uh, can't tell you those teams, all that, you know, that that he has laid out. I just know that we are, and he has done a great job of just putting those, those matchups together. Now, what skill sets are required to be successful with sponsor relations? I think the one of the best things um, is just to be able to to relate, to uh, communicate effectively, to relate to them, to execute on the vision that they have, um, that they may have for for their uh, for their activation. Our sponsors all have activations, things that they want to do and accomplish as it relates to the game, and so laying out a plan of attack. Um, of action to to achieve those things are, are always key. Um, I've been involved in meetings daily. I mentioned this is like my fourth meeting uh, that I'm, that's that I've had, and I consider this a meeting because anytime you're talking about the game, you're talking about work, it's a you know it's a part of your day. Mm-hmm. So um, being able to effectively communicate and and uh, I guess follow up, uh, you know, follow up is is a main thing of a part of what we do and building out and planning for a successful event. So I'm hearing logistics, operations, communications, and then the ability to follow through on what you say you're going to do. Absolutely. Those are very, very important. 
we hear that networking is so important for advancement in this industry. And unfortunately, during the past two years of remote work, it's been hard for us to physically be in the same places. What do you see as ways that aspiring administrators can develop relationships with people in the industry while we're still somewhat separated? I think, I mean, that's a great question. That's something that's still being developed as we go. Uh, you know, picking up the phone, understanding that, you know, coming off of the, you know, the pandemic and just trying to get in front of people. Um, when you do have an opportunity, like there was a, a Black Business Sports Symposium that was take that took place at the end of or mid June in Atlanta. That was a great event. It was a great event for a number of reasons. You had so many people that came together underneath that one umbrella and that there was a common cause to find young talent, um, common cause to everybody from a prof professional side that was there, they, you know, relatively established, willing and ready to try to give back and nurture those young upcoming uh, administrators. Um, so seeking those type of uh, uh, conferences, symposiums, those things, uh, having those one-on-one, -on -one, realizing that there's an event that's about to take place, mentioning football season, um, if it's not with within our, you know, ESPN events, games, or events, you can. There's there's comp, there's uh, athletic departments that are putting on events. They need people. Um, in the service industry, you're seeing that there's a lack of workforce at times. Yes. In certain areas, and everybody needs people. We we need those those people involved. We need those people that are going to help uh, execute on a mission and vision that we have for our events. And um, the volunteering. So volunteering is another big thing and willing to step out of your comfort zone and to communicate, uh, communicate, you know, things that you're looking to do. And hopefully that those will align with with that industry. Oh, what sacrifices should young administrators expect to encounter to be successful in this industry? I would say time, you know investing a lot of time, you know, I would, I, I don't want to even think about the finances. I think it just mainly from a time standpoint, time commitment to putting on and being involved with the events are key. Um, things take time to develop. Things require you to be there, to put on a uh, successful event. You may not necessarily uh, leave when you want. You arrive <laughs> early. And stay late. Uh, and stay late. That's right. It's the name of the game. We we do what we we need to do to get it done. And um, like we have two new I have two new coworkers that are, that are uh, just recent college grads. And as I describe the games, describe the events, describe the commitment, it's not you know am I throwing out the well you're not going to make any money or you know you're not going to sleep or you're not going to eat. No, we're gonna we're gonna do all those things. But what what's the the main thing we need are our attention to detail and your time committed to seeing those things, um, the events put on successfully. When I spoke with the president of the Houston Dash, um, she, I thought she said it best. She said, you have to understand that you work when the rest of the world doesn't, which is nights and weekends. <laughs> That's right. So it's almost you know, like what, working in retail. That's that absolutely one of the things um, 
from being on campus to being at uh, working for ESPN events now, I recall when I was at University of Arkansas and, you know, when you're in a college town, when those, and it's not much else going on or in and around the city. And, you know, you can attest to your time at the Carolina back in the day. Yep, it, back in Chapel Hill. You're, yep. You are putting on an event that everybody in the city wants to be at. And so I always looked at it was, I enjoyed it so much. It wasn't like it was work. It was, I get to have a front seat. I get to walk around in places where not everybody gets to walk around. And yeah, I may not necessarily see the whole game. And that's another thing I tell them is your time commitment. And you're not going to necessarily watch the game. You're not going to be a fan watching the game. Mm -hmm. You're working the end event. And once they understand that part of it, when when um, when fans come up to them or when administrators talk about or sponsors talk about the event that they were a part of, they're like, man, it was great. You know, and you're just like, okay, those comments make your lives easier because if they don't like it, then you have a problem to try to figure out why didn't they like it. I tell young people that your main job is to convince the public to depart with their disposable income on a repeated basis (laughs) so that they continue to come back to your events. That's right. It's uh, selling selling ice to an Eskimo. You know, you yes. you are everybody's time is valuable, um, and you you're, you're depending on the city that you're in. Like um, you know, our events are in Atlanta. You are constantly having to um, to to position yourself. So, you know, in Atlanta, in and of itself, you got you got Georgia Tech. You have you got your your host of professional uh, things that are that are kicking off. You got your Falcons. You you have other colleges that are surrounding. So Georgia Tech, you got Georgia State. In the state, you got the big boy, uh, University of Georgia. And so you're you're trying to position and market your event that's different. That is, I say different. It needs to be different because the pool that other colleges have or major events have, you know, they all bring something unique that's uh, unique for the, to themselves. Correct. All right, Edgar, I'm going to ask you uh, some sentences. I'm going to start them, and I need you to finish them for me. Okay. The one thing I wish I knew before I sat in the commissioner chair was? Was that it is a job that is going to be like no other. It's going to challenge you constantly, day in and day out. It's one of the most... um, it challenges you. It challenges you to to plan accordingly, and to convince others that your vision and your mission moving forward is the best way. If I had a conversation with my younger self, I would prepare him for. For the the unknowns, um, the understanding that the industry that you work and that you're choosing to go into is going to be fulfilling, but yet always challenging. That work-life balance. We're all trying to get there. (laughs) The best advice I can give aspiring sports administrators is? Find an area that you want to learn 
and go into and, you know, seek someone within those areas to, to have a conversation with, seek those opportunities to grow and to just to be involved and enjoy yourself, enjoy the journey. To have longevity in this industry, you need? Tough skin. You need to uh, enjoy the journey of, of athletics. It, def- it constantly evolves. Uh, mention the college game, mention the name and likeness, mentioning um, the professional side of the house. Longevity, it, you know, consists of enjoying the journey because not everything's going to stay the same. When I retire, I want to be remembered for? Being someone who helped others to achieve their goals. Early on in my college uh, career uh, of wanting to be an administrator, I was always seeking those areas of opportunity to develop and connect and to be poured into. So I want to be remembered as someone who poured into others and helped them to achieve their goals and from an athletic administrative standpoint. Well, Edgar, we thank you so much for your time. We wish you the best with both the MEAC SWAC kickoff game and with the Celebration Bowl. Do you have any parting advice for our listeners? The parting advice, well, thank you again for, for your time. Um, this, was, this has been great. Uh, I'm thankful that I finally had an opportunity to connect with you and, and what you guys have going, going on. I think, it's, I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, the piece of parting advice that I have would be to just be willing to learn, be willing to come in, be willing to be a part of something that you may not necessarily understand right out, but then once you do have that opportunity to be in a, a leadership role, how can you make it better? How can you how can you make it? Uh, like you said, you're competing with everybody else. How do you how do you enjoy that journey of of developing something and then seeing it through? Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.